Hey everyone, welcome to the Southside Church Podcast from Chilliwack, British Columbia, Canada. We're praying that hope would rise in your life as you listen to this message today. Hey everybody, whether you're here in person or watching online, I just want to say welcome. I'm so glad that you joined us. Now, I'm on video as you probably noticed. And there's two things that I want to say about that. Number one, I do not have vertigo. Let me repeat, I do not have vertigo. Now I know I preached a sermon a few weeks ago which might have led you to believe that every time I'm on video that I have vertigo. That's not the case. In this case, I do not have a little guy in my head yelling, do you want to go faster? I am actually at the lake with my family on vacation. So thank you so much for your concern, but I don't have vertigo. And the second point I want to make about preaching on video is really, really obvious. This sermon is all about seeking the presence of God. It's not about the presence of Mike. Lives will be changed, not because of the presence of Mike Manis, but because of the presence of God. Victories will be won, not because of the presence of Mike Manis, but because of the presence of God. See, God's gone before us into this moment. The Holy Spirit spoke as I prayed, as I studied, as I prepared, and he prepared your heart. And so something great is going to happen today, not because of the presence of Mike Manis, but because of the presence of God. So let's lean in. Let's lean in. I just want to pray. So dear God, thank you that you have gone before us. It's so difficult at times, God, because we have maybe regrets from yesterday. We have worries about tomorrow. But you've gone before us into this moment. And I pray that we might join you in this moment fully, completely present in this moment as you are. We trust you. We love you. We thank you in your name. Amen. You know, I was 38 years old when I became youth pastor of Southside Church. And when I look back at that transition, even to this day, I'm amazed by it. I would even call it like a miraculous transition. See, up until I became youth pastor, I was a teacher and a coach, and I loved it. You probably picked that up by listening to some of my stories that I've told, but I really, really, really loved it. And yet at 38 years old, I became a youth pastor, and it's amazing to me. It's miraculous to me because here I am doing something that I really, really love, and I transitioned into something, honestly, that I had never aspired to before. Not only had I never aspired to be a youth pastor, I had never even thought about being a pastor before, but yet... God spoke to my wife, Corinne, and to me individually and let us know that this is where we needed to be. So when I became youth pastor at 38, I started preaching not just to the youth on Wednesdays, but to the entire church on Sundays almost right away. And at at that time, there was a story that really, really fascinated me. It really captivated me. It really held my attention. I thought about it a lot, so much so that the first several times I preached, I would always bring this particular story out of John chapter 5 up until I had a few people come to me and they said, hey, Mike, we've heard enough of this story. You need to tell some other stories from the Bible. And so that was back when I was 38. So that was over two years ago. And I haven't even talked about this particular story since. But today I'm going to. And so if you're new or newish with us, I got to tell you, this sermon's going to be incredible. Like I'm probably the foremost expert on the entire planet regarding this particular story because I've thought about it more than almost anybody else in the world. And if you're one of the jerks, I mean one of the people that came to me and said, hey, you need to tell other stories, relax. You're going to love it. It's actually going to be amazing. John chapter 5, starting in verse 1, says this. Jesus was back in Jerusalem. 
Near the sheep gate in Jerusalem, there was a pool in Hebrew called Bethesda with five alcoves. Hundreds of sick people, blind, crippled, paralyzed, were in these alcoves. One man had been an invalid there for 38 years. When Jesus saw him stretched out by the pool and knew how long he had been there, he said, Do you want to get well? The sick man said, Sir, when the water is stirred, I don't have anybody to put me in the pool. By the time I get there, somebody else is already in. Jesus said, Get up. Take your bedroll. Start walking. The man was healed on the spot. He picked up his bedroll and walked off. I just want to give you a little bit of background. So there was this pool in Jerusalem called Bethesda, which means house of mercy, house of mercy, house of mercy. And hundreds of people gathered around this house of mercy, this pool of Bethesda. And they believed that an angel would come at sporadic, intermittent times. You never knew when the angel was going to come, going to stir up the pool. And if you were the first one into the pool when it was stirred up, you would be healed. Now, we don't know whether that was an urban legend or whether it actually happened. What's important for you and me to know, if we want to really get this story, is that the hundreds of people who were there, the sick, the crippled, the paralyzed, and the blind, they believed that if they were the first ones in after the pool was stirred, that they would be healed. And it was into this desperate setting that Jesus walked. Now, it should be noted that Jesus didn't hold a healing service that day. In fact, when you read the story, you get the sense that Jesus would have had to walk beside and around dozens and dozens of sick people until he came face to face with this particular man. Why? Why this guy? Why this day? Well, apparently there's something about this man. There's something about this moment. There's something about this Savior. And if you're anything like me, part of you wonders, yeah, but Jesus... What about all the other people? What about them? I want to assure you of one thing, that God had a plan for every single person at the pool that day, but there was something specific, something particular about his plan for this man on this day. Because he met Jesus face to face, and his life changed. Now, I bring that up because whether you are watching online or in person today, I believe the same thing will be true for you. I really do. I've been praying for you. I believe that God wants to have a face-to-face encounter with you, that you're going to meet Jesus today face-to-face. And if you're new or newish to church and you're kind of unfamiliar with the Jesus thing, you're going to meet Jesus for the first time today, and your life is going to change. Or maybe you've been going to church for your whole life, but you're going to meet Jesus face-to-face today, and you're going to know him in a deeper way, and it's going to change your life. So why you? Why today? What is it about you and this moment? I don't know. I think you might, and I am certain that God does. See, we're in this series based on the 12 steps to recovery. We've talked about the fact that we live in a world that's beautiful and it's broken. And because of the brokenness of this world, we walk through life and we got all kinds of guilt and all kinds of regret and all kinds of shame and all kinds of scars and all kinds of trauma. And what happens is we carry that pain from our past and it creates patterns in our presence. We carry the pain, we carry the scars, we carry the regret from our past, and what it does is it creates patterns in the present that keep us from living and loving well. So we're on a path to healing. We're on a path to freedom. We're on a path to hope. So a couple weeks ago, I talked about the fact that we were going to do a searching and fearless moral inventory of our lives. And then last week, we talked about confession, that we were going to confess our wrongs to God, to ourselves, and to 
another person. Well, today it's step six, and step six says this. We are entirely ready to have God remove all these defects of character. We are entirely ready to have God remove all these defects of character. Huh. It kind of gets me thinking about that story out of John 5, right? Do you want to get well? That's a story that's been fascinating me for years. That's a question that's been riveting me for years. Do you want to get well? That's step six. Do you want to get well? Jesus walks up to this man laying by this pool called House of Mercy. And he asks him, do you want to get well? And it seems like a crazy question, doesn't it? The guy's been there for 38 years every single day. He's waiting for the waters to be stirred up. He wants to be the first one into the water. He wants to be healed. But every single day he misses out. And he's been waiting there for 38 years. So my thought, my inclination is to think, well, of course he wants to get well, Jesus. Why even ask? But you'll notice that when Jesus asks the question, the guy doesn't respond immediately. He doesn't say, yeah, of course I do. What do you think? Yeah, absolutely. I really do. He doesn't do that at all. And it made me start to think, I wonder if he really, really wants to get well. Like, I wonder if there's a part of him that's become defined by his dysfunction. I wonder if there's a part of him that's become comfortable with what has crippled him. Right? Like, he's the paralyzed guy. He begs and he makes really good money begging, in large part because people feel sorry for him. And so I wonder, has he become defined by his dysfunction? Has he become comfortable with what cripples him? And and, and so it seems like a crazy, almost unnecessary question is a lot deeper than we first thought. Because I would want to ask you the same question. Here in the summer of 2022, I wonder... When we look at all the pain and the guilt from your past that's created patterns in your present. And here we are in this moment, fully, fully present, right here and right now. Here's your question. Do you want to get well? Do you want to get well or have you become defined by your dysfunction? Have you, have you become comfortable with what cripples you? It's amazing because they say addiction and compulsion brings simplicity to a complex world. Addiction and compulsion bring simplicity to a complex world. We live in a complicated world, right? Like so many choices, so many decisions, so many moving parts, so many variables, so complicated. And yet addiction boils your life down to three simple things. Whether you're addicted to a behavior, a substance, or an experience. Your life gets boiled down to three simple things. Find it, get it, use it. There's a simplicity to that. Now, of course, whatever it is that you're addicted to, it enslaves you, it holds you in bondage, and you find yourself acting and saying and doing things that you would never do in your right mind. You're hurting other people and you're hurting yourself in ways that you never would in your right mind. You're in bondage, but the question still remains, do you want to get well? Do you want to run the risk of complexity? Do you want to get well? Or maybe for you it's this victim card. There's something really comfortable about playing the victim. It's pretty clear, right? Like, 
you are allowed to abdicate all responsibility for your life and blame it all on other people, the victim card. Hard way to live because when you abdicate responsibility, you also abdicate opportunity. It's interesting because Jesus walks up to this guy, asks that question that at first glance seems kind of crazy. Do you want to get well? And the guy doesn't answer yes or of course or what do you think, a totally idea. What does he do? He, he immediately plays the victim card. He says to Jesus, I've been here for 38 years. 38 years I've been at this pool called House of Mercy, Bethesda. 38 years I've been here. And when the water gets stirred up, I want to be the first one into the water. But you know what? No one's here to take me into the water. My mom isn't here to help me. My dad didn't show up. My brothers didn't come. My sisters didn't come. My cousins aren't here to help me. I don't have any friends that'll help me. So for 38 years I've been here and I've never been healed. He pulls out his victim card and he plays it. And it's really weird because like the next thing that Jesus says to him is stand up. So what happened between the question and stand up? What happened between do you want to get well and stand up? See, I think what happened is this man pulls out his victim card and I think Jesus looks at him. I think their eyes meet. And I want to be really, really careful here because I want to tell you that Jesus didn't look at him with exasperation or derision. Jesus didn't look at him, roll his eyes, and go, would you quit whining? Do you want to get well or not? No, that guy had a heartbreaking story. Heartbreaking. 38 years he's been there, you guys. 38 years he's been trying. 38 years of discouragement. 38 years of devastation. 38 years of disappointment. It's heartbreaking. And so I guarantee you, as he looked into the eyes of Jesus, what he saw was not derision. He saw love and kindness and compassion. And their eyes meet. But on top of the love and kindness and compassion, the question's still there in the eyes of Jesus. The question still remains. Do you want to get well? And the man nods. And the story progresses. And I guess my question for you today is, are you ready to have your story progress? All he needs is a nod. You want to get well? So you've been angry for years. You've been angry for years. It's taken its toll, right? It's shattered your family. It's broken relationships. Hurt your career. Caused pain to other people. Caused pain to yourself. But the question is, do you want to get well? Because there's also something about your anger. It kind of keeps you from being vulnerable, you know? It kind of keeps you from admitting you're wrong. It kind of keeps you from having anybody disagree with you openly. And so it's like this shield to protect you from vulnerability. So the question really is this. Do you want to stay angry or do you want to get well? Or maybe you've been using lust to protect you from love. You've been using lust to protect you from love. People define lust in all kinds of different ways. They say lust is when you treat people like objects. Lust is when you see another person as a challenge that you need to overcome. I would say lust just really boils down to this one thing. Lust is when you look at other people in terms of what you can get. Lust is when you look at other people in terms of what you can get. And so you've been using lust to protect you from love. Because here's the thing about love. Love will cost you. Love will cost you. Love's not about getting. Love's about giving. Love's about kindness and patience and selflessness and generosity. Love will cost you. Now, of course, love is the most beautiful thing that you could ever experience on this planet, but it'll cost you. 
So here's the question. Do you want to keep lusting? Or do you want to get well? Really? Or maybe for you, you've just gone silent. You have people in your life who talk over you and they walk over you and they look over you. And it's just intimidating. And slowly, step by step, moment by moment, day by day, you just got quieter and quieter and quieter. And we've lost your voice. And that's a tragedy because the world needs you. The world needs your voice. The world needs your creativity. The world needs your ingenuity. The world needs your intelligence. The world needs your strength. The world needs your wisdom greatly. But you've gone silent. And so now the question is, do you want to stay silent? Or do you want to get well? Because you know, you know, you know that when you speak up, those people who have been walking over you and talking over you for years, there's going to be some ripples. So do you want to stay silent or do you want to get well? Maybe for you, you've been playing it safe for years. Somewhere along the line, you failed. And you, th- you, you, you thought to yourself or subconsciously you decided, I don't want to feel that way anymore. So anytime you come across an opportunity, if there's a chance that you might not make it, you back off. Every time that there's a challenge, that would be amazing to overcome, but you think there's a chance that you won't accomplish it, you back off. Every, every, every time there's a chance for you to bring something into your life that will bless you, bless your family, bless your friends, but you think there's some way that you might not make it, you back off. You play it safe. And the sad thing is, is your family's counting on you. Your friends are counting on you. Yeah, sure, to accomplish that challenge, but more than that, to set an example of somebody who says, you know what, failure's not final. I'm not defined by my failure. I'm defined by my Savior. But the question is this, do you want to keep playing it safe? Or do you want to get well? Or maybe for you, you've been hiding. Like not literally hiding, but relationally hiding. You just keep everything on the surface. You talk about trivia. You don't really get to know anybody and no one gets to know you because here's the thing, there's a risk that comes from relationship, right? And that risk is rejection and you don't even want to go there. And of course the thing about relationship is it is risky but it's also strength and joy and companionship and teamwork and laughter and a big part of what we were created for in this life. But it is risky so you got to ask yourself this question, do you actually want to get well or do you want to keep hiding? Or maybe your thing is the opposite of isolation. You've been running and running and running from relationship to relationship to relationship. to I mean, before one is over, you're already running to the next. And the reason is, is you know that if you were ever to stop running, you'd have to stop and look in the mirror. And you'd have to realize that the pain and the guilt from your past has created patterns in your present that are keeping you from loving and living well. And so you're bringing a dysfunctional version of yourself into relationship after relationship after relationship. And at some point, you've got to face this reality that says, wherever I go, there I am. But here's the question for you. Do you want to keep running? Or do you want to get well? Or maybe you're prideful. Like a big portion of your brain is like a defense attorney, arguing your case, trying to prove that you are never wrong, and you do not have to change. 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 And here's the problem. Be careful what you argue for because you might just get it, and you have, and you haven't changed for years. 
Yeah, I guess it's nice on some level, walking around thinking, man, I'm just, I'm never wrong. <laughs> I don't have to change at all, but somewhere deep down inside, you know you do. But you've got to answer the question. You want to keep arguing? Or do you want to get well? See, I would really like in this moment for you to have a face-to-face encounter with Jesus. And please understand that when you look into his eyes, you're not going to see derision. He's not going to roll his eyes and go, oh, you stop whining and just answer the question. What you're going to see is love, kindness, and compassion. There's a reason you're angry. There's a reason you've been playing the victim card. There's a reason you're addicted. There's a reason you're anxious. There's a reason that you're running. There's a reason that you're hiding. There's a reason that you're arguing. There's a reason for all of it. And it's heartbreaking and it's real. And so he looks at you today with love, compassion, and kindness. But the question is still there. The question is still there. Here's the question. Here's the question. Do you actually want to get well? What a story. What a story. What a story. It's a story that plays out in every one of our lives. And then The man nods, and that's all he needs, and that's all Jesus needs from you is just a nod. What's crazy is how he doesn't heal him. It's crazy how Jesus doesn't heal him, right? The guy says, I've been here for 38 years. I've been longing for the moment. I've been dreaming for the moment when the water gets stirred up, and finally, I'm the first guy to get in the water but I've never had anyone to help me. And so maybe the way that this guy would have imagined the story was going to play out is that Jesus was going to look at him that day and say, well, I'll tell you what, you've never had anyone to carry you before, but you do today, buddy. You better believe that you do today. I'm going to do it your way, but Jesus doesn't do that. Jesus doesn't work the way that we think he's going to work. Jesus doesn't work the way that we dream that he's going to work. Jesus works in a different way. So when he says, do you want to get well to you and me today, I guess the real question is this, do you trust him? When he asked that man this question, do you want to get well, another way to ask it would have been this, do you trust me? Because Jesus doesn't work the way that we work. Jesus works through the highs, but he also works through the lows. He works through the peaks, but he also works through the valleys. He works through the pleasure, but he also works through the pain. C.S. Lewis said it this way, we can ignore even pleasure, but pain insists upon being attended to. God whispers to us in our pleasures, speaks in our conscience, but shouts in our pain. It's his megaphone to arouse a deaf world. I wonder how many men or women have hit rock bottom in their lives and said, I don't want to live this way anymore. And at the time, they thought, this is the worst day of my life. But a year later, five years later, they look back and say, that was the day everything changed. I wonder how many men or how many women have reached rock top. Philosophers say that rock top is even worse than rock bottom. Rock top is when you attain that thing that you were convinced that you needed to attain. You achieve that thing that you were convinced that you needed to achieve. You accomplish that thing that you were convinced that you needed to accomplish. That you had convinced yourself that if you attained it, if you achieved it, if you accomplished it, that it would meet your deepest needs only to find out that it let you down. That's rock top. I wonder how many people have reached rock top and said, I don't want to live this way anymore. And at the time, it felt like the worst possible day of your life, but then you get back a year or five years and you think to yourself, man, that was the day that everything changed. I'm so glad it happened. See, for 38 years, this man has been lying beside this pool called House 
of mercy for 38 years, and then he comes face to face with Jesus, and he says, I don't want to live this way anymore. So how long have you been angry? How long have you been running? How long have you been addicted? How long have you been hiding? How long have you been silent? See, I wonder if today could be your day that you look at Jesus and you say, Jesus, I don't want to do this anymore. And you trust him enough to say, yeah, I want to get well. So then Jesus says to him, stand up. Stand up. And I just love this story. I love every part of it. Because I want you to think about this. I think this is important, you guys. Jesus says, stand up. So, so who gives this man the strength to stand? Jesus does, right? Like if you would have showed up two minutes before Jesus showed up at this pool called House of Mercy, this pool called Bethesda, if you would have shown up two minutes earlier and said, stand up, the guy couldn't have stood up. So who gives him the strength to stand? Jesus did. Who stands? He does. Who gave him the strength? Jesus did. Who does the standing? The man that's been there for 38 years, he does the standing. I think there's something so important about that for you and me. That Jesus will give you the strength, but you got to stand. Do you understand? That Jesus is not going to take you, and I talked about this last week, and pull you up by your lapels. He's going to give you the strength, but you still have to have the faith to stand. And I don't know exactly what that's going to look like for you to stand. But I think you do, and I'm certain that God does. If you're angry, maybe it'll just be to say sorry. If you're addicted, maybe it'll be this. Text 604-670-3040, 604-670-3040, and just give us a text that says, I need help. If you've been silent, maybe standing up is literal. And just saying, I will exert my personhood. I do have th something to say. If you've been hiding, maybe it'll be to join a small group. If you've been running from relationship to relationship to relationship, maybe, 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 standing up for you is going to be like, time out. Time out. It's going to take a year. It's going to take a year, and I'm going to work on me for a year. I don't, I don't know exactly what your standing up is going to look like, but I know this. He'll give you the strength to stand, but you still have to do it. Psalm 40 says it this way. I waited patiently for the Lord. He turned to me and heard my cry. He lifted me out of the slimy pit, out of the mud and mire. He set my feet on a rock and gave me a firm place to stand. And then Jesus says to him, take your bedroll. The guy's been here for 38 years, okay? So what does he feel like doing with his bedroll? I don't know, burning it probably? Throwing it in a dumpster? Throwing it into this pool called Bethesda? You know, house of mercy? Maybe just leaving it there and walking away. But Jesus says, no, you're going to need that. Take it. And, and I think there's something amazing that we need to consider here. So in order to illustrate it, I'm going to tell you a story. I want you to imagine that the man walks out of that alcove that day. And he walks into a new life, a brand new life. And part of his new life is he built himself a house. And he's a host, you know. He's so grateful and so overwhelmed he just wants to share his joy with other people. And he invites people into his house. And they walk into his house. And the first, the only piece of art that he has in his entire house is he has a bedroll, he has a bedroll hanging on his wall. How weird, right? He has a bedroll hanging on his wall. And when people come over to his house for the first time, they ask him, what is the deal with a bedroll that's so weird? And he says, oh, 
I'm so glad you asked. I was lying by this pool called House of Mercy for 38 years. I was discouraged. I was disappointed. I was devastated. I was defeated. And I lay by that pool called House of Mercy, and then one day, the author of Mercy came walking up. And I met him face to face. His name is Jesus, and he changed everything. He healed me, and I know that he can do the same for you. See, I don't know exactly what your bedroll is. I don't know what Jesus is calling you out of, but I know this. He wants you to take it with you. He wants you to take it with you because he wants to take your tragedies and he wants to turn them into trophies. Like not a trophy for you, but a trophy for his grace and his mercy and his glory. Right? Like, I, I don't know exactly what your trials are. I don't know exactly what your trauma is. But believe it or not, he wants to take your trauma and he wants to turn it into a trophy. That our God heals. That there's a pool called the house of mercy, but there is a man named Jesus who is the author. He is mercy personified. He wants your bedroll to tell a story. So that years from now, maybe, you'll be talking to somebody and they'll say, man, you could never imagine what I've been walking through. You can never imagine the guilt that I'm walking through. And you could say to them, oh, that's funny. Can I show you my bedroll? And then finally Jesus says, start walking. (laughs) Start walking. It's funny to us because if somebody, you know, said to one of us, start walking, I mean, Provided we wanted to listen, we could just start walking. But I don't think this guy's ever walked before. So Jesus says to him, start walking. And maybe there was like a couple of people beside him that would have said, just, just, just take a step. Oh, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Just take a step. That's how you start walking. That's how Jesus leads you, one next step at a time. It's really countercultural. Proverbs 19, verse 6 says that people plan the course. People plan our way, like our whole, like where am I going to be? Where am I going to be? Where am I going to be 10 years from now? But the Lord directs your steps. See, see we want to plan our whole course. God just wants to plan our next step. You know, earlier I talked about the fact that I had this miraculous transition from teacher and coach to youth pastor at 38 years old. If you would have asked me at 38 years old, what, what was my course going to be? Like, where was it going to be in 10 years? I had a few courses planned. You know, like, maybe I'll be an administrator, a principal at a school. Maybe I'll be a history professor at a university. Maybe I'll be a university basketball coach. But I never would have thought that I would have been here. And sometimes I wonder, how did I even get here? And then it hits me. Oh, it's just simple. Just one next step at a time. Because when I was making that transition, and it felt like God was saying, hey, go be the youth pastor at Southside Church, I went away to Cultus Lake for a whole day. It was like late April, early May. And I just said, God, I need you to tell me for sure, because I'm really liking what I'm doing right now, and I just need you to speak to me. And I stayed there all day, and I didn't feel like God was saying anything. So I was loading up the car, my 1987 gold Volkswagen Jetta. I was loading up my car to go home. And just as I was getting in, 
I felt God like speak something to my heart, not out loud, but just impress something on my heart. And it was just one simple phrase. It's not your last step, but it's your next step. Go do it. That's how God works. See, we want, we want to plan our decade, decade at a glance. God just wants us to take our next step. God just wants us to be fully, totally present right here and right now and be willing to take one step. And then when you do, he'll give you another one. Just start walking. Just start walking. So I got three possible next steps for you. The first is the most simple. Just make it a priority to be back here next week. So if you're in person, be back here. Bring some friends, by the way. And tell them to catch up on the 12 steps. They can listen to me at 2.5 speed. I would, okay, but just get caught up. And if you're online, just create a distraction-free environment. Put a reminder in your calendar and be back here next week. That's, that's a simple next step. But simple isn't always easy because I don't know about you. When I decide to feed my soul, when I decide to move forward, when I decide to take my next step with Jesus, often anything that can go wrong does go wrong. I just feel like doing anything else except. So that might be your next step. A second possible next step for you might be to sign up for a Southside small group. If you've been silent for too long, if you've been hiding for too long, man, if you've been arrogant for too long, if you've been arguing for too long, if you've been running for too long, your next step might well be to jump into a Southside small group. So you just text the keyword group to 604-670-3040. You go, well, Mike, it's summer. I don't really have time. No, what I mean is text it in today. Take that step today and get it locked and loaded for the fall so that you're ready to make this the best fall ever. And here's a third possible next step. We'll be talking a little bit more about this in the weeks to come, but there's a baptism coming up. And one of the things that I love about baptism is it's such an obvious next step for so many of us. The Bible says this, believe and be baptized. It doesn't say be perfect and be baptized. It doesn't say be theologically savvy and be baptized. Just believe. Believe in Jesus and be baptized. So if you have not yet been baptized, but you believe in Jesus, boom, there it is. Next step, next step. So just text the keyword DUNK, D-U-N-K, to 604-670-3040. And just as I close, it got me thinking, you know, that, that God just wants us to be fully present in today and just wants to heal us, wants us to trust him, wants to heal us, and wants to lead us one next step at a time. But I know that there's people watching online or you're here in person right now, and your next step is your first step. So I just want to tell you that God loves you so much that he sent his son Jesus and that Jesus lived, died, and rose again for you. He, he, he died on a cross, by the way, so that you can get past your past. You can leave those patterns behind you. And he rose again so that you can have the strength to stand and the strength to follow him one next step at a time into the life that you were created to live today, tomorrow, and forever. If you haven't taken that step, whoa, what a day, what a day, what a day. So why don't we just close our eyes and bow our heads right now? And if, if that's you, if today is the day that you want to take your first step with Jesus, that you want to start following Jesus, I'm so stoked for you with heads bowed and all eyes closed. Can you just raise your hand nice and high right now? It's amazing, amazing. It's more powerful. The fact that you make that outward expression of that inward commitment is a big deal. I love it. Whether you're online or in person, you can put your hand down right now. I'm going to pray out loud, and I invite you to pray silently along with me. So Jesus, thank you. I want to get well. 
and I trust you. I thank you that you died so that I could leave my past behind at the foot of the cross. And I thank you, Jesus, that you rose again so that I could have the strength to stand and to walk. I pray that you would just lead me faithfully one next step at a time. And for all of us, God, no matter how long we've been attending church, no matter how long that we've been following you, for so many of us, we're, we're carrying guilt, we're carrying shame, we're carrying patterns, whatever they are. Jesus, I want you to know that collectively at Southside Church, we want to humble ourselves. And right here in this moment, we want to say unequivocally, we trust you. So whatever you're calling us out of, whatever you're calling us into, we just have one thing to say. I'm in. I'm in. I'm in. We love you. We love you. We trust you. Thank you in your name. Amen. 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 So I love you guys so much, and we will see you next week for week seven of the 12 Steps. Thanks again for listening. To hear more messages like this one, make sure to subscribe and check out our podcast channel for past episodes. And to stay up to date with all things Southside, follow at Southside underscore church on Instagram. We love you guys. The best is yet to come.